0: Resurrection, Jesus is, is alive. Sunrise, resurrection, Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive. Sunrise celebration. Jesus is alive. Sunrise celebration. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive, hallelujah! Jesus is alive. Oh, so it to the alive. Sing, sing
1: it to the Jesus the, Jesus the is
0: oh, oh, songs of praise, sing for joy and wake the day, Jesus is alive, hallelujah, Hallelujah. Jesus Jesus is alive. Sunrise, celebration. Sunrise, sing unto the Lord. Sunrise. Sing unto the Lord. Sing unto the Lord. Lord. Sing unto the Lord. Sing unto the Lord. Lord. He is alive. Let's go and dismiss the kids ages four years old through fourth grade for children's church. Ages four years old through fourth grade. This Easter Sunday is probably one of the most important days in the life of a Christian, and I think when the world looks at Easter, it's all about Easter egg hunts and bunny rabbits and flowers and springtime and life and things like that, but a lot of times they miss the whole purpose of what Easter is about, and I think if the world really were to listen to what Easter is about, they would look at us and they would mock. Because most people do not believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. They think that's just a story, something that was just made up. You know, and, and if you think about it logically, it can't be, it can't be. There's so so much evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, physically, from the grave, and is alive today. You look at the fact that the tomb was empty, um, yeah, and it had been sealed by the Roman soldiers, and it was guarded before that. Um, the Roman soldiers would never have admitted that they fell asleep and, and somebody broke in and took the body of Jesus. You know, that's, that's not something they would have wanted to have done. And no, and people couldn't just roll that stone away. It was huge, you know. And, and, and on top of that, a lot of people say, well, this is just legendary development. It's a story that grew over time where the disciples, they believed Jesus was divine, and they made these myths and these stories. But you know what? Things like that historically take hundreds of years to happen. And these disciples, they were already preaching that Jesus rose from the dead years, very, very few years after he rose from the dead. But one of the biggest evidences for the resurrection is this, the life of the people who followed him. We have four accounts in the Bible of the resurrection, four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those men, if they were teaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and they knew it to have been a lie, would they have lived the lives that they lived and would they have in the end allowed themselves to be murdered because of their faith in Jesus Christ? Those men would not have gone that far. If they'd, if they'd known it was all a game, it was all a gimmick, that they'd played, played a game and stolen the body of Jesus Christ, why would these disciples have allowed themselves to die for the faith that they preached? Why not just say, okay, I was wrong, it was all a mistake, let me go now, okay? And I think that is probably the greatest example or proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ transforms lives of believers. And these believers were willing to die for this faith that they believed. And Jesus Christ's resurrection is the single most important event in the history of mankind. We all like Christmas. We celebrate Christmas for a whole month long, Right? But it's not as important as Easter is. Easter is the foundation of our faith. But in order to understand the significance of Easter in introduction, I just want to go over why is this so important? Why does it matter that Jesus rose from the dead? First of all, we have to understand the bad news. Mankind has been plunged into sin and continues to live in sin in rebellion against God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's all of us. Every single one of us in this room are all sinners, and that sin has aligned us against God, and it earns judgment by God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wages, those are payments, paychecks. You go to work, you work a job, you get paid for it. If you didn't get paid for it, you'd think, okay, this, this boss is crooked. I don't want anything to do with them." right? The payment we all earn because of our sins that honestly we commit every single day is death. That's the bad news. Sin, our sin keeps us out of heaven. We will be judged for our sins. Bible teaches that as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. The penalty of that sin is death. But there is a death other than just physical death. Revelation 20, verse 14 says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. For those who reject God's offer of salvation, there is an eternity in in hell awaiting for them. That is the second death. But there is good news. God doesn't delight in casting anybody into hell. That's not what he wants. And in fact, God isn't really the one doing it. We are the ones doing it because he has offered us salvation. 1 Peter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, with earthly things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but we are redeemed, we are purchased, we are freed from sin by the precious blood of Christ. Jesus Christ came, and it says, As of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he came and he lived a perfect life, and he died for our sins. Okay, this is Easter Sunday. It's not about the crucifixion so much, but it is about the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. That word gospel means good news. Okay? The bad news is we all deserve an eternity in hell because of our sin. We have aligned ourselves as enemies of God by the sin that we commit. But God offers us a plan of escape, a way of salvation, the good news, the gospel. Paul says here, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you unless ye believed in vain. Then he says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried And that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. All of this was foretold. All of this was prophesied thousands of years before Jesus was ever born in a manger. And Jesus fulfilled every single one of those prophecies. But why was he born? Why did he come? Why did he die? Why why was he buried? And why did he rise again? To offer us salvation. He says, by which ye are saved. You can be saved from the penalty that you deserve because of your sin. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So this is the good news. The good news is that because he died and buried and rose again on the third day, we can have forgiveness of sins and be saved from our sin, saved from the death that we deserve by placing my faith in Jesus Christ. But a lot of us today here are believers. Is the resurrection unimportant for us once we have become a Christian? Does it just Poof, vanish away. It's no longer it's something we should even be concerned about. What does it mean for our lives today? And I think our salvation is accomplished through the death of Christ. But as believers, we have a hope of a, a lively hope, as the scripture says, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, I've chosen an unusual text for, for Easter Sunday today. I've chosen John 11, verses 1 through 46. We heard some of those verses already. When Jeff was re- doing the scripture reading, John 11, verses 1 through 6. But by the end of this message, I believe you will understand the significance of why I've chosen this text. I think, really, when I look at these verses, sometimes Jesus allows death to touch our lives so that we could find our life in Him. Many Christians say they are saved, but when you look at their lives, you can't tell the difference. You can't tell. They act just like everybody else. So what's the point of being a Christian, right? Others take pride in being different from the world, but Jesus is not their consuming passion. They're stuffy, they're different, they're, they're prideful, they're arrogant, they do all the right things, but there is no consuming passion for Jesus Christ. I think the word that describes most Christians is apathy. Jesus is a side item to their entrees of life. Their lives are consumed with pleasure, with entertainment, with sports, with money, with food, with hobbies. And even now, and then Jesus gets a mention, but he's, only on the, he's in the background. The thrust of this story in John 11, verse, uh, John 11 through one, one through 46, the thrust of this whole story is Jesus' statement in John 1, verse 25. Let's go ahead and look there. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Let's go and open in a word of prayer. Father, I pray that your hand will be on this message. That the truths that you've shown me throughout the week as I read through this story, that you've opened my eyes to here in the life of Mary and Martha and Lazarus would, would beat home into our hearts and our minds. And Lord, that we would be challenged and stirred to find you and to find that you are our life. Love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to divide this text into four different sections today. The first section I want to look at is the reign of death, or you could title it the tyranny of death in verses 1 through 17. It says, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Jesus heard that. He said that the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Mary, Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things saith he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. But I go, that I may awake him out of his sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto the fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. What we see in this first section of this story is that death's reign is supreme in life. Death conquers all men. All men face death. um, Romans 5 verse 14 says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Death is really the master of us all. None of us are able to escape death. We are not able to conquer it by medicines or by other alternative means. Death is the master over all sinful human beings and touches our lives in so many different ways. To believers in Jesus Christ, a man who preached that if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. Lazarus' death would have been confusing, wouldn't it have been? Jesus promised life, but why Why has this believer died? They might be t- tempted to think that they could escape the touch of death, but even these Christians do not escape death's touch. Notice in verses 1 and 2, this story is written to three believers, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And sometimes we slip into thinking that everything in our lives should be good because we are Christians, but death, the effect of sin, touches even the lives of Believers, just this week, my grandma passed away up in North Dakota. Death, t- death touches all of our lives. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We all face it. Believers face death personally or relationally. It's hard to see a godly man lie in a, d- in a bed dying. Death, death is no respecter of persons. He doesn't He doesn't say, okay, you are a good man, I'm going to ignore you for a little bit, and you are a bad person, so I'm going to chase after you. That's not death. Good and bad people all suffer tragic deaths. Good people still get cancer, right? Good people still die of Parkinson's disease. No one escapes death. Even if they aren't facing death, people dear to us suffer and are hurting, and sometimes there's nothing we can do to make that pain go away. Death touches our lives even in untangible ways less tangible ways. What about the moments when we find out that maybe your husband was living in sin? That's a death of a sort, is it not? It's a death of a relationship where your kids reject God and are living for pleasure. There's a death there. We ache and we hurt in these moments as sin stabs us with the death of those relationships. Death's reign is over all people who live on this earth. No one escapes it. Verse three reveals another truth here. Uh, it says, therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. What's the truth here? Even those who Jesus loves face death. They, they all face death. Lazarus was dear to Jesus. Sometimes we can feel like God must not love me if he would allow this to happen in my life. But we don't always see the purpose behind the pain. We don't always see the purpose behind what he allows into our lives. And we must not confuse the circumstances that God allows into our lives with his heart. As we will see as we go through this text, God reveals his heart here in this story. Verse number four, in in this case, the disciples, they are told exactly why the following events were going to happen. Verse number four, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. And Jesus was not saying Lazarus wouldn't die. He was saying Lazarus wouldn't stay dead, basically, okay? He's not, he's not going to be given over to death, okay? So the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And then John reminds us in verse 5 now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But notice in verse number 6, it says, when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, He abode two days still in the same place. It's basically like saying, because Jesus loved Lazarus, he stayed put. He didn't rush off to his side and help him. He didn't go and heal him of his sickness. He didn't go to see his best friend as he was was dying of sickness, because Jesus loved him. Sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? Sounds contrary to what we would normally think you think that Jesus would have done things totally the opposite he would have gone the opposite direction and run to Lazarus and healed him and made him better so it's often it's odd to associate Christ's love with this action especially when we consider in verses 11 through 14 that Jesus already knew Lazarus was dead he knew it before he even arrived that Je- that Lazarus was dead sometimes god allows death death's hand to touch our lives Sometimes he allows pain and grief. Sometimes he allows us to go through dark times. But think about this scenario, and let me ask you this. Which would you choose? Let's say Jesus came to you and said, I'm going to do a great miracle, and many lives are going to be changed, but there's something that's going to be hard that you're going to have to go through to get there. You're going to have to die to get there. But don't worry, I'm going to to bring you back to life again. Would you choose that? Honestly, if Jesus came and told you those things, he didn't tell Lazarus. But if he had, would, would, would Lazarus have chosen those things? Jesus is not being harsh and cruel and allowing Lazarus to go through this death. Jesus knows the end of the story. Jesus knows that in the end, Lazarus will come back to life and God will be glorified from this and the, the end result is many people would be saved because of what happened in Lazarus' life. From these verses, we see that even believers are touched by death. For, but for the Christian, death is temporary. In verse 11, says, These things saith he, after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. Okay, sleep was oftentimes a word that was used to speak of death. And in fact, Jesus says plainly, Lazarus is dead. Right? But why does Jesus choose the word sleep? Sleep is, the, is this idea of it's a temporary thing. It will pass. You'll wake up. At the end end of your your rest, you will get up and it'll be over with. And so in the Christian's life, death is merely a temporary thing. It is not the permanent permanent abode of the Christian. But for the lost, those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, this is the rest of their existence, eternity, if they do not accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I think in light of this, we can look at this and say, this trial in the life of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus is a temporary thing. I've heard it said, this phrase, this too shall pass. Not all of the dark times in our lives are permanent. They, are, they, they do have an end. In fact, even chronic disease is temporary. Even cancer is temporary. Even if you die of the cancer, it is temporary. Why? Because after you, you die, if you're a believer, you are in heaven with a new body, with a new life. You, are rec- you, you, you have this resurrected body. It's all gone. That's all temporary. It is not a permanent situation for the believer. Verse number four teaches also that our deaths and our suffering can bring glory to God. When Jesus heard that, he said, "'This sickness is unto death, but for the glory of God.'" God wants to be glorified, and in God glorifying himself, he accomplishes the best good for mankind. God is not the sadistic, selfish person who just wants everybody to worship me constantly and make me, make me look good because I want you to. God does this because he knows that in doing so, it is the best thing for our lives. It will accomplish the greatest good. It will fulfill our purpose of existence. But also in verse number 11, we see that Jesus is Lord over death. When he says that Lazarus sleepeth, he also follows up and says, I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. Jesus has the ability to raise people up from the dead. We don't have that ability. When Jesus says enough, death listens. So the first thing we see in here is the tyranny of death. We all face death. We all face its effects in our lives. In verses 18 through 32, though, we see the faith of Martha. I'm honestly astounded by the faith of Mary and Martha in this story. Their brother has died, and yet they both hold out hope that Jesus can still do something about it, right? Right? I mean, if you go to the hospital and a loved one has, has died and they're sitting there in, in the hospital, you probably not got any hope that there is any, that he's going to come back and, and go shopping with you tomorrow, right? There isn't any hope for us. But, when, but Mary and Martha, they look at this situation and they have hope. They have faith that God is going to do something in this situation. Let's look at verses 21 through, actually, sorry. Yeah, verse 21 through 22. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Martha had faith and Mary had faith that God could still do something. In spite of everything that has happened, Martha and Mary had faith that Jesus could act, that Jesus could raise their brother from the dead. In fact, in verse 23, Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Okay, so she knows there is a resurrection coming, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the whole point. Jesus is life. He is pur- our purpose for life. He is our hope of everlasting life, of never having, never having to suffer the second death, a death in hell and, and, uh, and the lake of fire. Jesus is our life. He is everything to the believer. He is our purpose for being. In John 1, verse 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 5, verse 21 says, For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, that means to make them alive, even so the Son maketh alive whom he will. John 14, verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Mary and Martha and Lazarus knew this truth. Only in Jesus Christ can we find life. Only in Jesus can we find meaning, purpose, and And fulfillment. And Jesus asks her, Do you believe this? Martha affirms her faith in verse number 27. She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And you got to understand the background behind this word, the Christ. She's saying, I know you're the promised Messiah. You're the one that the Old Testament said would come and would pay for our sins and would set us free from our captivity from the punishment for, that we have earned for ourselves. You are that one, Jesus Christ. So she affirms her faith in Jesus Christ. Then but in verses 33 through 38, we see the heart of Jesus. The nest, the ne- this section is so strong because it shows us Jesus' heart in the midst of our death and our suffering. the the situations that we are going through. In verse 33, it says, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and, and said, Where have ye laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then saith the Jews, Behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. But here we see what what was Jesus feeling as he approaches death in the life of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? Was Jesus untouched by our sorrow? Was he untouched by our grief? By the the pain that death causes in our lives? No, he was not. There are three responses that we see in Jesus here. In, In verse 33... Jesus was angry at death. It says he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. The word groaned in this verse speaks of being moved with indignation. Not just grief, but indignation. Why is Jesus angry? Why is he coming to this situation and he is angry about it? Jesus is angry, not because of their Mary and Martha's lack of faith. They had faith, right? Jesus is angry because of the tyranny of death. Jesus was angry at the fallout of death, the consequences of death in our lives. Death was not God's purpose for this world. Yes, maybe God knew it would happen when he created it, and so it's part of his plan, but God did not create this world to suffer death. The suffering and destruction of sin was not what God wanted for this world. And here are two people who are dear to his heart, hurting because of death. And Jesus is angry at, t- at the tyranny of death. It says he, w- he groaned in his spirit. Jesus' anger was contained. He wasn't raging uncontrollably because of his anger. He kept it inside. But anger never truly stays completely inside. Let me ask you this. How did John know that Jesus was angry? Because there had to be some kind of signs on his face that Jesus was angry at death. And it says he was troubled. That word troubled is the idea of being shaken or restless or agitated. Jesus was so angry, it made him restless. He couldn't stand it anymore. And then we see in the next verse, in verse 35, actually, it says, Jesus wept. Jesus was not only angry at the tyranny of death, but we see his compassion for the grief of those that he loved. This picture would not be complete without verse 35. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, Jesus was not only angry at death, but he had compassion for their grief. He felt for them. There are two different words for weeping in this passage. The weeping that that the Jews and Mary did was a weeping out loud like professional mourners. I don't know if you've ever been overseas and saw a funeral. I uh, did my missionary internship in the country of Nepal. And down by the main river in Nepal, people would burn their dead bodies by the river. And you could hear the wailing and the screaming of the lamenting over death in, the, in, those, in those women there at the funeral there. And that's what Mary and, and these other Jews were doing. They are wailing like that. But Jesus weeps silent tears. And the one thing you know about silent tears is they're truly heartfelt tears. They come from his heart. Jesus wept because a loved one of his had died. But also, he was angry again in verse number 38, Jesus therefore again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. But why is Jesus angry now? If you look back at the previous previous verse, some some of the men mocked. They said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused this? Even this man should not have died. Jesus was angry at their unbelief, at the unbelief of these people here. Jesus hates what sin and death have done to this world. He does not stand unaffected by it and by what he sees. But here's the thing. He is the cure. He is the resurrection and the life. And these men standing by at the grave, they don't see it. They don't understand it. Wouldn't you be angry if you came to a bunch of sick people and told them that you had the only medicine that could make them healthy and they ridiculed you and one man looks at you and says, why, are you a doctor? Or says, who made you the master of me that I should listen to you and take this medicine? You can't tell me what to do. I don't even think the medicine will do anything. Wouldn't that make you angry? If they just rejected the only cure that that, that there is, the the hope that they have? Jesus is angry not only at the tyranny of death, but he is angry at their unbelief. Then at the end of the story, verses 39 through 45, we see the resurrection of Lazarus. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead lay. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou heardest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. But some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Here we see Jesus bringing Lazarus back to life. Because he is the only one who has that ability. He tells them to roll the stone away. And Martha has a momentary lapse of faith. She says, he stinks. We're not, we're, we can't open the door now. It, it would stink too much. He's been dead too long. <clears throat> and in, in a way, I think it's kind of like a, a dog that loves its owner. It's, they, they get along constantly. They're constantly playing. They love each other. But in a moment of pain, what does that dog do? It still snaps at its master, right? And in this case, Mary is, Mar- and Martha are hurting. And Jesus says, roll the stone away. And they, they have this momentary lapse of faith because of the moment, the grief that they are in. But Jesus says, if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. And he calls Lazarus forth and Lazarus comes forth out of the tomb. And because of this, many people believed on Jesus. But some of them didn't. Some of them didn't. Imagine, imagine that. You see a man raised from the dead and you don't believe it. You, 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 can't, you can't handle this. See, I'm not, I, and, and what do these people do? They run to the Pharisees to tell on Jesus, basically, right? <clears throat> these men run to the Pharisees to stir up more trouble because of their unbelief. But here's the point. We're going we're to wrap it up, okay? Death could not conquer Jesus in the resurrection. Why couldn't it conquer Jesus? Because he is the life, he is the resurrection. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Death could not conquer Jesus, not because he was a good man. Death couldn't conquer Jesus, not because he was even favored by God like Enoch and Elijah, who didn't taste death. Death could not conquer Jesus because he was the resurrection and the life. After the crucifixion, I imagine the devil and the demons probably danced on his grave, thinking that they had the victory. But death could not conquer him. So why is this so important? Because all of us have the spot of death in our lives. We all face it, and we all feel its touch. In a a few moments, we're going to be having an invitation. And for those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can have eternal life. Jesus says in verse 25, He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. This is not a promise that you'll never die. This is a promise that you will have eternal life. You will have him himself. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And in having him, you will live an eternity in heaven. <clears throat> Death touches us all. There are two audiences to this story. There are the unbelieving Jews. They stood by. They did not believe in Jesus Christ, but they saw this miracle. They saw this resurrection of Lazarus, and they were convinced that Jesus was the Christ, and they were saved. But the other, the other audience here, was the believers, was Mary and Martha. And Jesus allowed death into their lives so that they could see that he is their life. He is the our life. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. Pastor quoted this in Sunday school. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So many Christians are just going through the motions, they're just living life, no different from anybody else, and the real reason that that is the case is because Jesus is not their life. He is not the center of their life. Jesus was trying to remind them that I am your life, I am your purpose, I am why you are here for, I am the one who saved you, and and, and in me you can have true life. C.S. Lewis once said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. As Christians, we've become distracted by all the things of this world that make us happy temporarily. But Jesus is our life. So as we stand, we'll have a time of invitation this morning. I want to challenge you. There's two audiences. For those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, he can be your life today. He can set you free from death and sin and hell. If you will come and talk to one of us, let us show you how you can know that, how you can be set free.